0: All right, we'll turn there, and if you need a Bible, there's one on your table, and you're welcome to use that. Psalm ninety-seven. How many liked the Gary's short? Portion of the program today. Isn't it? Isn't that great? So I hope you like my long portion. Of the program. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, Psalm 97. Okay, this is a, another one of the enthronement psalms. Okay, which declare God to be King, and uh, we see that in verse one, where it simply says, "The Lord reigns." And uh, that statement, "The Lord reigns," sets the stage. Uh, for the remainder of the psalm. So here's how we're going to outline the psalm, and then we're going to go down verse by verse. Section 1, which would be verses 1 through 5, we're going to see the announcement that God reigns. And they will explain that, the psalmist will explain that a little bit, the announcement of God's reign. Then verses 6 and 7, the call to worship under God's reign, and that's addressed mainly to the Gentiles. And then... Verses 8 and 9, you have Jerusalem worships God as king. That's verses 8 and 9, Jerusalem. And then verses 10 through 12, you have the practical effects of God's reign. So let's look at this announcement. The announcement simply says, The Lord, and notice it's all caps, which means Jehovah or Yahweh, the God who has revealed himself to Moses and has established the nation of Israel. And it's entered into an agreement with them to be their God and they will be his people. And he will bless them if they're obedient and he will curse them, which means punish them if they are not. So that's the God that the psalmist says reigns. Now that pronouncement, God reigns, is not made in a vacuum. Not just like he just threw out a word or a sentence. There's a context. There is, you have to understand that statement in its historical context. So what does it imply that God reigns? Well, to get a possible context for this, I want you to turn to one passage of Scripture with me, and then we'll come back to the psalm. And I want you to turn to Isaiah. So just turn and write in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 52. So you'll find the Proverbs in all of what we call the wisdom books, so you'll come to Isaiah. And you go to Isaiah 52. you find Isaiah 52, look down at verse 7. And you will notice or see a verse that will be familiar to your ears. Isaiah 52 in verse 7. Now watch what it says. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, which means deliverance, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. So, when you look at this, you say, well, there is that phrase, Your God reigns, or the Lord reigns, Because your God would be Yahweh, it would be Jehovah. That would be Israel's God. He's the God who delivers and He reigns. So, notice this next identification in verse 8. Notice who makes this proclamation. It says, your watchmen. Do you see that? Your watchmen. Now, watchmen were people who sat on the wall of the city. Cities in Bible times were enclosed by walls that protected them from outside invaders. And watchmen sat on the wall and they would look out across the distance. And they would look and see if any enemies were attacking, armies were attacking. If they did, they would blow a trumpet and warn the people in the city. Get ready, you know. Just think of the Alamo. You know, you have guards up there and they're looking out there, they're going to be an attack. Hey, here they come, look, there they're coming over the ring. But a watchman also had a second job. And that was if the army of Israel was out there already in the battlefield far beyond sight. They would sit on the wall and watch for a runner who would come back from the, the scene of battle to let the city know whether they were victorious in battle or whether they lost. And so, here is a watchman and he looks out And he sees a runner. And the message is, Our God reigns! He's delivered us! We won the battle! That's why he says, Hey, their feet are are beautiful. Right? How beautiful are the feet of those who are bringing what kind of news? If they were bringing bad news, let me tell you, he wouldn't say that their feet were beautiful, would he? They would have been in danger. They would have known the battle was lost out there and the enemy's probably coming. So it's a watchman who says that. And what you have here, then in verses 8 through 10, he sort of explains that. So we have this runner who's excited, says, Hey, proclaim peace, the war is over, glad tidings of good things, deliverance, Zion, our God reigns. The watchmen shall lift up their voices, and with their voices shall sing together. For they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy. Sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. In other words, we've been saved, we've been delivered. For the Lord has made bare His holy arm. He's, He's rolled up His sleeves. He's fought the battle on our behalf. See? See how that comes out? He's bared his holy arm in the eyes of the nation and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation or the deliverance of, the, of our God. So that is the context. When, when the psalmist says our God reigns, that's the context. It means God has stood with us in a battle and we've won, we've been delivered, our city's not going to be invaded. Well, how beautiful is the feet? Verse 7. Have you ever heard that before? Yes, Paul quotes this. He quotes it in Romans 10. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And he applies it to the evangelists who are preaching the gospel of deliverance. It's a gospel that Paul identifies as the gospel of the kingdom. That God is king and he stands up for Israel and his people and he delivers us from our enemy and one day he'll set up the entire kingdom on earth. But he, he defeats our enemies. He defeated our enemy, Satan, on the cross and through the resurrection. And so our God reigns and that's the message. That's how Paul applies the message to New Testament times and how we should apply it to ourselves. Does that make sense? So our God reigns, what's the context? Victory, right? Right? Okay, so let's go back and look at Psalm 97. So here's what it says. The Lord reigns, and look at this. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitudes of the owls be glad. God extends his peace and reaches out to others, not just for Israel, but this is a command to the nations to recognize God reigns. it extends out to the edges of the earth he's calling to all people to recognize God reigns and it's a good reign and you need to come under his reign and under his rule so that's what you have right there then in verse 2 we have a description of God reigning so look what it says in verse 2, very interesting clouds and darkness surround him what in the world does that mean? This God reigns and clouds and darkness surround him. Well, you remember when God rescued the Jews from Egypt? And God reigned. And he went to Mount Sinai, took the people to Mount Sinai, and God came down, he descended, and he gave the law to Moses. And remember what the scripture says? And great clouds and darkness surrounded the mountain. See? Okay. God who was victorious, but then guess what? He descends and the clouds cover the mountain when God showed up. Because you can't look upon God in one. Live. 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 So what we have is we have this cloud that sort of veils God. And when God shows up in the Old Testament, that's called a theophany. When God in a sense descends and manifests himself in some miraculous way, like he did with the Exodus. And the sea just opened up. That is a God coming down and doing something. That's called a theophany. But you really can never see God because God sort of cloaks himself. Now, the Bible says God ultimately came down in the person of Jesus. And he veiled himself behind human flesh. Remember that? One time, God's presence, the glory of God, burst through Jesus. Came right through. That was called... The Mount of Transfiguration. Remember what happened? Cloud came down and engulfed them all. Peter, John, and James, they just fell over like dead men. And when they finally opened their eyes, there was no one there except Jesus. And God said, this is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. So here we see this reigning God who is veiled behind clouds and darkness because you can't live when in God's presence like that. Even when God was was in the Holy of Holies, He was behind the veil, wasn't He? He had to be behind the veil. There's always this veil. So, anyway, so look at verse 2. Next it says in verse 2, Righteousness and judgment are the foundation of His throne. And this speaks of the character of His rule. The character of His reign. He reigns righteously. Unlike a lot of kings who reign on earth today, they are not very righteous people, are they? They're dictators and they're they're mean and they kill their own people. We see that God's reign is characterized by justice and by righteousness. He always does what is right. He's always just. He's never unfair. He doesn't show uh, favoritism. He... There's no difference between a Jew and a Gentile on his side who come to him. So what we see is this God who is fair and rules fairly. Verse 3 says, fire goes before him. And Look what it does. Burns up his enemies around about. So here again you see this concept of God defeating enemies. That's why we, we see this God's reign in context of a battle. In a context of a victory over, over enemies. Verse 4 says, his lightning, his lightnings, plural, light the world. The earth sees and trembles. Uh, this is what happens when God shows up. It's like lightning striking. It's like thunder. You know, when you're in the middle of a lightning storm and thunder, you can't miss it. You see it and you feel it. Your whole house rumbles. Well, when God shows up, no one misses it. It's obvious that when He opens the Red Sea that it's God doing that. When there's a resurrection from the dead, it's obvious that God's doing that. So when God descends, there's no missing it. And that's what He's saying here. Look at this. The mountains. All this in the presence of God. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of God when God shows up. At the presence of the Lord... Of the whole earth, nothing can stand in His presence. That's how great this God is. The only thing you can do is bow down in His presence, put your face to the ground, and not even look up. Even mountains can't stand. He's enough. I was listening to uh, some commentator last night about the power of the presidency. And how many people, when they are going to have an audience with the president, especially his adversaries, say that they were, when they get into the Oval Office, they're going to really let the president know exactly what they think. But when they get into the office, guess what? They just melt before the president. Doesn't matter whether it's Republican president, Democratic president, doesn't matter anything. There's just something about that office of the presidency that when you get in there, you just go, we're praying for you, Mr. President. We're praying for you. you know, might not agree with everything, but... It's, uh, and this is what we have here. When God shows up, guess what? You don't stand up. You fall down. Even the mountains themselves can't stand. Notice he's called the, the, the God of the Lord of the whole earth. And that's why the whole earth is called to worship him. He's not just Israel's God and Israel's king. So that's where we come in verse 6. It says, The heavens declare his righteousness... Now notice we had his righteousness up in verse 2. See, Righteousness is the foundation of his throne. And even the heavens declare his righteousness. And uh, this could be those that live in heaven, like the angels, who come and proclaim the righteousness of God. But the emphasis here is on the righteousness. Heaven and earth, in other words, knows that God is righteous. And it goes on to say in verse 6, and all the peoples see his glory. Now, the peoples there is plural. When you see the phrase, the people, singular, it refers to the Jews. The people. When you see the word, the peoples, plural, it refers to the nations. Okay. So, in this case, what we have is we see that... Uh, the people recognize God's glory, they recognize God's greatness, they recognize God's power here. And so that leads to this command in verse 7. Let all, that would be all the peoples, verse 6, let all be put to shame who serve carved images, who boast of idols. Since it's apparent that God is victorious in battle, Over these nations who have invaded Israel or who are fighting on the battlefield with Israel. Since God is victorious, that means the gods that they have followed, each of these nations have their own gods. It means that these gods and these idols that they carved with their own hands have been ineffective against the real God. And so that's what verse 7 means when it says, Let all be put to shame. Who serve carved images and who boast of idols? So, since it's apparent that God reigns, those who serve useless idols and you know, weak gods—gods gods of their own making—they've been humiliated out there on the battlefield because uh, they boasted, "Oh, we're coming in the name of Baal." Remember Elijah's confrontation with the prophets of Baal? Baal failed, didn't he? They? they all bragged, "Baal, Baal, Baal." Yeah, and guess what? Baal failed. They were embarrassed. They boasted on Baal. They were put to shame. Because Baal didn't come to pass. Didn't come and help them. So what happens? He says, let everybody who has served these idols and these gods, the demons behind these idols even, uh, be put to shame. And notice what it says right at the end of verse 7. It says, Worship him, all you gods. So we don't believe that there are real gods that the people followed. We don't believe that Baal was a real personality. But they they believed it. And we do believe, according, according to Paul, behind all these religions of the world, behind the gods that these people claim to have, are demons. And so what we're thinking is that this, the psalmist is crying out that everything the Imani forces, and Jolly forces, all forces worship this God. So here we see this call for universal worship. Now, the third section starts in verse 8. And we see that Jerusalem worships. This is Israel's response. Zion. See verse 8? Zion is simply another word for Jerusalem. So it says, Zion hears and is glad. Zion hears. And is glad. Zion hears what? What is it that Zion hears that makes them glad? Verse 1, the Lord what? Reigns. Now look, in verse 7, you had the nations who boasted on their gods, and their gods failed. Notice, they are put to shame. They are shamed. But in verse 8, Zion hears that God reigns, and they are what? Glad. See, that's just the opposite. So now we come to the second line of verse 8, which is similar to the first. And the daughters of Judah rejoice. Now, who are these daughters of Judah? It could simply mean the residents of Judah. Or it could refer to the women. And it may be the women, because it could be referring to the women dancers and the women twirlers. You know, they had twirlers Israel. And they had women dancers. Remember when when God delivered Israel out of Egyptian bondage? Miriam, Moses' sister, picked up the tambourine and she started singing. And in what is it? Numbers fifteen, I think it is. She sings a sweet song of salvation. She's banging that tambourine. And this is a picture of 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 the women, you know, twirling and dancing and playing their tambourines and. Uh, over the, over the victory that, that God had performed over the enemy, that God reigns. And it goes on and says in verse 9, uh, here's why they are to do it. Because you, Lord, all caps, are the most high above all the earth. You are the most high over all gods of, and all people of all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods, and the word there is ll El yon. You've heard that. In other words, you are exalted above all the gods. See what it says? You are the most high above all the earth. You're exalted above all the gods. ll El yon. That's you know God Almighty, the highest God. First used in Genesis 14 when it talked about Melchizedek who was a priest of El Elyon, the most high God. Other gods, yes, but there's one who's above all of them. We sing that song, there's no one like Jehovah. You know how we sing that in church? We sing it over and over again, there's no one like Jehovah. And that's what this is saying. There's no one like Jehovah. There's no one like the God of Israel. So we have this proclamation. Now in verse and exaltation and song. Then we have verse 10, we have this last section, which are the practical effects of God's reign. In other words, how are we supposed to respond? Look what it said. Here's what you're to do practically in light of the fact that God reigns. Okay. You who love the Lord, you need to do something. What is it? Hate evil. He, pres- he preserves the souls of his saints, which... Don't think of the word souls as we think of that. But it simply means he preserves the lives of his saints. He preserves the lives of his people. He has won a victory. He reigns. And guess what? He's defeated the enemy. Now what you need to do, if you love God, you need to hate evil. Because he preserves the lives of his saints. He's preserved you. You need to hate what God hates. There's a lot of things that God hates. We think that God just loves. But at least five places in the, in the Old Testament says God hates certain things. I think there's a place in Proverbs that says six things God hates, but and then there's another one. So One of them has to do with disunity among God's people, and all these kinds of things. So you need to hate what God hates. You need to hate evil. And uh, it's really important that we get that because so often... Uh, even in the New Testament, it says something like this. If you love the world and all the things that are in the world, in other words, God hates the world, right? The world has become corrupt in the sense. Now, I know that God loves the world in the sense that he's going to redeem it, but he doesn't like what he sees down here. And one day he's going to judge this world. But it says, if you love the world and the things in the world, then the love of what's not in you? The love of God's not in you. So the way you can determine whether you really do love God is that you hate evil. And so you need, in light of what's going on in our world today, you need to be thinking about that. Do I love God? Do I hate Do I hate <clears throat> evil? A lot of evil going on in the world. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked. See, it says he preserves the lives of his saints. Into verse 10. He delivers them out of the hand of the wicked, which shows you that it's speaking of a battle. God is victorious in battle on behalf of you Verse 11 says, Light is sown, or light dawns for the righteous. It could mean that if it's light is sown, some translations say light is sown, it means God throws light on our path. He leads us each step of the way. He gives us clear guidance. If it's light light dawns, it means that, hey, we're no longer in darkness. The victory's been won, and there's a light at the end of the tunnel. We're not sure which one that is, but... He definitely guides us and leads us by His light. And gladness, verse 11 says, not only does He sow righteous, He sows gladness for the upright in heart. Gladness. Notice one of the marks of a a person who loves God and is part of God's family is gladness. Christians should be joyous all the time. We should be thankful for what God has done. And if we're not, something's wrong. We should be a happy people. And that leads to the command, therefore. Here's the command. Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous. Let's get started. Let's start praising the Lord. Let's start singing. Let's start shouting. Be happy in the Lord. Not happy in the things of the world. But be happy in this covenant God, you righteous people people. Let's get started and be happy. And it says, not only should you rejoice in the Lord, you need to give thanks at the remembrance of His holy name. Give thanks. Thanks at the what? Remembrance. You need to think back on past victories in your life. When you called upon the Lord and He he got you out of a situation. Should never forget those past victories. Should always remember and be thankful for those past memories. Don't ever allow those past victories to be forgotten. You know, when God led the Jews out of Egypt and they followed the Lord, He said, I never want you to forget this. And He gave them a feast that they were to celebrate every year called the Passover. And that Passover always looked back to the Exodus. So when Jesus died, that last Passover, he was in Jerusalem to look back upon the deliverance from Egyptian bondage. Passover was an opportunity to look back. And then the Lord gave us the Lord's Supper are supposed to be selling that, celebrating the Lord's Supper, taking the Lord's Supper on a regular basis. Why? Because it makes us feel good. Oh, I want you to feel good when I take the Lord's Supper. No, you do this in what in remembrance of me? Because in Christ we have the victory. Because the world thought they defeated Christ; they nailed him to a cross, and they went that's it, we got rid of him, but guess what? God raised him from the dead, gave him the victory, and his victory is ours. And it points not only back to the past, it points to the future when Christ is going to come down and set up the entire kingdom on earth, and the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of God and his Christ. And so this is Psalm 97. Next week, we're going to do 98. The following week, 99. At that point, summer's over. It's into the fall season. I forget what date that is. 21st or something like that. And then we pick up the John's Gospel, chapter 16, the giving of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, we thank you for your word. We, we want to be joyous people. We don't want to be negative. We don't want to be complainers like the Jews were in the wilderness. We want to look constantly looking back and thanking you for your deliverance, for salvation, ultimate deliverance, and the small deliverances along the way. Help us, Lord, to be glad. Help us to be thankful. Help us to take this message with us. Help us to hate evil and love you. Help us to be able to proclaim with the psalmist our God reigns in Christ's name. Thank you.